Hey guys, welcome back to Working Comic Podcast. Austin Nasso here. This is episode 10. In this episode, I had the privilege of interviewing the very great Chris Reinecker. Chris is a former BuzzFeed star, digital producer, filmmaker, writer, actor, editor, improviser, sound designer. I mean, you name it, Chris does it. Chris is one of the best at making viral content, but also staying true to what he finds funny. Across all of his social media platforms, he has over 800,000 followers, and he does this while maintaining his very own comedic integrity. So there's a lot to learn here in this interview, so stay tuned and enjoy. I'm sitting with the very funny and interesting Chris Reinecker. Chris Reinecker has 500,000 plus subscribers on YouTube, 228,000 Instagram followers, and... He is a writer, filmmaker, comedic actor, and former BuzzFeed star. And uh, you've made a web series called Teenage Mountain Lion. You've done you've done a lot of things. And you were also my um, first improv coach at UCLA yeah. uh, when I did the Improv 101 at the improv school. Above all else. Yeah, that is the number one that's thing. That's my number one thing. Thanks right, for doing this, man. I appreciate you having me over your house to interview you. Yeah, thanks for coming. Hanging out to Friday. Friday. Get to relax. Yeah. How's uh how the the chicken nuggets? I yeah, I have fake chicken nuggets here because I was hungry. So they're like they're fake. cost no, they're co- look, they're not chicken nuggets. They're they're like Costco. They're like Westworld chicken nuggets. They're green oh, chicken wait, nuggets. Why? You see? There's like spinach. Yeah, no, that's not bad chicken. <laughs> it's uh I don't know. I think it's cause it was like, oh, it'll be a drunk snack, but it'll be like a healthy drunk snack. When I bought it, I'm not drunk now. Okay, cool. <laughs> but I but uh I didn't have anything else in my fridge, so nice. You well, know. Make sure good. you keep this all in. I need people Yeah, we're keeping this. To know. So, okay, you've done so many things in your comedy career and I've been super inspired by like all of them because you're one of the few people that are able to have like a massive online following while also having like comedic integrity, I feel like. And I find that like really interesting. Oh, thank you. So I, I guess, where should we start? Well, we could start with maybe how did you first get into comedy? What was that for you? Ooh, how did I first get into comedy? Um, I'd say I first got into comedy. I used to make I used to make videos with my with my you know dad's camera after school in like middle school with some of my friends, uh, and we kind of we did we had like an improv team and our improv team actually did really well. We like won the state championship and then we went to the world finals and we like won world finals when I was in eighth grade. Wait, what? I don't know if you want to go too deep into Wait, my really? eighth grade career. This is true. You won world final. First of all, there was a world finals for Okay, so there's this there's this program called Destination Imagination or Odyssey of the Mind. It was formerly known as. Are you, do you familiar with either one of those? No. Well, I'm a huge fan of those things, and I also think if you have kids out there, I think you should put your kids in these programs because they're creative problem solving competitions. So you are uh, you're given a problem that you work on all year. Uh, traditionally, improv aside, you're given a problem. You have some criteria. You know, you ha- you have to do a story, and it has to has have a couple um, Shakespeare lines in it, and uh, it has to have some information about space, and uh, th- and it, you can only use duct tape and newspaper or something like that. And so there are a bunch of different kids put together seven minute skits. 
And when I was in sixth grade, they introduced the improv program where they give you all of these things spontaneously and you have to make the skit up. And I had been doing that for a few years, like in elementary school, but the improv category really like hit with me. And so you'd be given a bunch of things. It wasn't real improv because you had like 30 minutes to put it together. Um, and uh, and you put it you put it together in 30 minutes. You do an eight minute presentation. We won our regional and then we won California State. And then we went to world finals with 48 states and 15 countries. And we Whoa. won the world finals. That's it was like crazy. In, in Knoxville, Tennessee, there's like a arena of 30,000 people. That's when I peaked. 30,000 people? Yeah, yeah. The whole the whole competition, not just the improv category, but there are like six categories. There are different age groups, you know, but the whole thing has like so 30,000 like people at world finals. 13 years old in front of performing in front of 30,000 no, people? No, no, no. That's the award. The awards oh, is 30,000 oh, people. Oh. Our, we performed in front of, uh, you know, there's probably like 50 to 100 people watching us that day. Wow. But that's cool. So you yeah. first performed at a pretty young age. Yeah, so I was kind of performing, right? I'm making those making those skits with my friends. Um, I don't know if you want to get too if you want me to get too stuck in the weeds in high school, but it is a very informative time because because um, we I, I started making my like video thing. Yeah, uh, I started making videos for the high school assemblies as well, and I turned them into like little sketches. They used to do skits on stage. And I was like, oh, I want to make videos. Like, we do a sports video, but we don't do any narrative videos. So let's do, like, comedy videos. So I started making those for my high school. And I did this improv competition again in high school. Where were those videos shown? Uh, they were shown, like, in front of my high school at the assemblies. You guys have ever have assemblies? It's like a show for the high school. That's so – you know what? Um, it's, like my- a, it's like a pep rally, kind of. That, that's so funny because when I, when I interviewed Dan Peralt, he mentioned – he first started making videos for his high school had a news program and he would make do like comedy stuff on that. And that's where he got the idea for an American Vandal and they had the new, like news segment and that kind of thing. Yeah. Which is just so cool. Like similar inspiration for comedy. Yeah. Well, high school, I feel like high school is super important. And I mean, I'm sure there are, you know, people who are trying to figure out, I think there are a bunch of different resources you can use in high school. And I did speech and debate as well. That was like I, speech. You think of like, somebody giving an oratory but a lot of it is like very theatrical it's like one man shows almost yeah and so i did i did that as well in high school and i got a lot of positive feedback and won a lot of stuff and that made me want to keep going me me i wasn't you good won at sports so many i wasn't any good at sports though but i was competitive you had like the weirdest best luck ever i guess i mean you were very talented but you had like the best luck like at an early age just winning things and getting like the middle school thing like in high school, you said the speech and debate, and then I know you're going to talk about it, but like weightlist, like also true, getting yeah. stuff. I'm just like, what? Why are you? It's because I'm not any good at any sports, and I've never won anything athletic before. So, but I'm competitive, so this felt like a lane where I could win. So I, uh, that's why I like these things. You know, that's why I I got to kind of go on the be in high school you know just kind of one of the crowd and then go on the weekends and perform these speech tournaments and get to the final rounds and have hundreds of people watching you in the finals and that was like the best weekend possible did you do like comedy oriented speeches or just like kind of yeah i did humorous interpretation i got to i've got fourth in the state fifth in the state uh at state finals for humorous interpretation 
I did duo one year and I was ranked second in the nation. My what? duo partner was Zach Efron. Really? It was a real thing. What? Yeah, I don't know if you know I grew up with Zach. He was also on the improv team. Zach. So yeah. Funny. I grew up with Zach. That's, <laughs> that's cool. Wow. Uh, and we were ranked pretty high in the nation. And nationals was the big thing. I want. I really wanted to get on that national final stage because the national finals for speech and debate, like fifteen hundred people watch you. And uh, we had qualified. We we won our national qualifier, but then Zach booked his first movie the week of national finals. So if you ever want to watch a movie about an autistic kid who does track and field called Miracle Run, that's the reason I was never in national finals, guys. Wow. <laughs> anyway, wild. enough about my high school. And then what? Like, so go. Well, so the, this like positive feedback um, kind of made me want to um, want to do this. Did you get like you're like I'm good. I should keep doing this. Yeah, it was also the thing that made me feel good. You know what I mean? I, yeah. Um, yeah, like like my my tenth grade year like wasn't a great year for me in the home, but I get to go away on the weekends and go to these tournaments and and go far and feel recognized and you know and we 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 did the improv tournament again in high school we got again to world finals and we won again and we like those those were the best parts for me so like those were my high moments being in shows and doing those tournaments so i i think i it was almost like when i was applying to college i was like of course i'm gonna major in that so basically what i'm saying is i'm a typical millennial snowflake who was given a bunch of awards yeah you got all those so participation trophies like i feel national like championships <laughs> and so i feel entitled yeah um <laughs> but then i auditioned for ucla um and i got into the ucla musical theater program uh which i later realized like I, I'm not good at singing and dancing. If I'm okay, I'm okay. I'm not as good as the people in the UCLA musical theater program. Those people like are on Broadway now. So I couldn't keep, I, I felt like I couldn't keep up and I wanted to write more and I had like four dance classes a week and I was like, guys, let's, let's be honest with ourselves. I'm not, I'm not good at this. So I, I uh, re-auditioned for the acting program and then I got to write more and I got to make things with my group, The Waitlist that I put together in college, which was kind of just a group of people I thought were really great. Sweet. Um, tell us a bit more about the waitlist. Waitlist is really cool. <laughs> I like oh. the waitlist a lot. I mean, you, you guys have done a ton of our shows at UCLA. You guys are so funny. And it's almost like when you would do our shows, it's like we have like the old guard coming back through and like performing with like the new group of like up and coming peeps. So oh, cool. That was really cool. Cool. That's awesome. Yeah, we got to we started doing. Um, well, basically, I wanted to create more videos and film, and those were the things I was interested in. And um, while I really enjoyed the theater education, I didn't get as much or see the the value if we're talking entrepreneurially i didn't see as much of a value as me being in Wojciech for 10 weeks or in Wojciech. Wojciech, it's like a classical play you know what i mean oh, I, I didn't okay. see the value in me being in uh, old classical interpretation of some grad students for 10 weeks rather than making you know five short films and sketches with my friends 
So every quarter for a while, um, me and um, I guess I should have taken this back to take it back. We did Campus Movie Fest. Campus Movie Fest was the reason mm-hmm. why the waitlist formed. And Campus Movie Fest is still out there. It's like this great student film competition. It's the biggest one in the world is, I think, what they what they tout. It's like a five-minute film competition. And uh, my junior year, um, we had my friend Josh Lanetta called me up, put me in a thing, and we won Best Comedy at UCLA. And these, these guys, Stephen Wilson and Jordan Dunn, won Best uh, – best picture and they were hilarious and they were so good and so real and steven was so good at filmmaking and i was like i gotta meet these guys because i'm not good at filmmaking really i never went i want to be a director as much you know so you if you're not those things you need to either become those things or find people who are those things and then collaborate with them because everybody wins you know so while Steven was huge because Steven is a editor, director, musician, he can kind of do it all. Um, he was like a, a huge part of it. We, we pushed him pretty hard so that we would be able to do once a quarter, we do a show where we wound up showing about four or five sketches and uh, did like an hour of improv. Um, Whoa, you did an hour of improv? Well, we did like 20 minutes. We like broke it up. So it was like okay. 20 minutes here, 20 minutes there. We had a live band in the middle. It was like a little live show. It was like a variety show. Sweet. Where did you do like Black Box Theater at UCLA? We did it in Denev one a couple oh, of times. Nice. We did it in uh, Northwest Auditorium a couple of times. Would, yeah, those are pretty big venues. Yeah, it's guys. Like I don't know how venue. familiar you guys are with the UCLA theater oh, yeah. scene, but uh, we, we sold spots. out some huge venues. But also, that's pretty cool. It's like a small group. Yeah, well, I mean, it was also, honestly, it was also because I auditioned for the improv team the year before, and I didn't get it. It wasn't, I didn't get in, but it also wasn't my vibe. It was a lot of short form, a lot of loud puns and stuff like that. Are they still around? Is it Rapid Fire? It is Buick. Oh, okay. Which has amazing performers. I mean, Ann Lane was on it, Jack DeSena, Chris Smith, like really great performers, but that skill set was... I wanted something a little more grounded, and so I almost like in the in the scenes in the audition would kind of force stuff wow. into the grounded things. So much innovation comes from not getting on improv teams. Yeah, no, for sure. That's how I started like the shenanigans, like the comedy club at UCLA. Yeah, just not getting on rapid fire. It's like wait, we can do it ourselves. I think that's a huge lesson. Is like yeah, wait, I can do this myself, or or I'm gonna get a team together and then we're gonna do it ourselves. Had the name waitlist come about? Oh. Does that have anything to do with it? Um, no, I mean, we, I think it was, you know, it was scholastically themed. You get oh, on yeah, a wait yeah, list, yeah. you don't sign up for the class in time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Felt a little apropos. But then it also kind of, it was kind of, I think, for me, I interpret a little bit of like, we're not, we're still in college, but we're next, you know. I don't know. I that's don't cool. know if that's really, we talked about it too much. We had a lot of ideas, we had a lot of ideas, and that one seemed to ring for all of us, so. And then afterwards, after college, you guys got some pretty cool things happening. Yeah, I guess we were. We were the waitlist, I guess, because like now Ann Lane was on that team. She's on the main stage at Upright Citizens Brigade, the main stage at at the Groundlings. 
uh, Ali's all over television. Yeah. Ali Gondor is all over TV. He's on the main stage at the Upright Citizens Brigade. I believe he played with Ascat last week, which really? I think is so cool. Whoa. Uh, Jordan Dunn is writing Will Ferrell's next movie with his writing partner, Michael Kwame. Uh, Jason Lazarus, who played music for us, uh, is now a professional composer, and he's worked on a ton of stuff. That's so cool. Um, uh, like, J- Jason works too hard. Jason, if you're listening, which I'm sure you're not because you work too hard, stop working so hard, man. Come hang <laughs> out with us. Uh, uh, John Davies is hilarious and amazing and versatile and uh, weird, and it's wonderful. Yeah, you guys so, got a lot of... Yeah, and Stephen Wilson deep. and Mark Lester are also pretty successful directors of their own. Stephen Wilson just uh, directed a pilot for Sony. So yeah, we kind of we we're we're going, but also I got my first agent, uh, like my first commercial agent. So did Jordan because they found our sketches online because we just did it. So there were all these classes at the end of UCLA, like how do you get an agent? And a lot of the classes were like we don't know. And then luckily, Jordan and I just got phone calls because we put wow. stuff online and we showcased what we could do. What did you guys do? You just put it on YouTube. Yeah, we just put it on YouTube. We didn't even get tons of views. You know, we just really? we just made it because we wanted to make it. We thought it was funny, and we put it up because we liked it, and we thought other people would like it too. And a big part of me with what I make now is encouraging people that that's why you should be making content because you like it, or because you think it's good, or because you want other people to see it. Not because. Well, what makes me so sad is that because of what YouTube has kind of turned into. It's now this place where like, maybe I can repeat a formula of a trend where I talk in a vlog format the same way somebody else has a thousand times because if I put out one of those videos every day, my, my following will slowly grow and then I'll be able to make an ad. And for me, I'm like, what? You're, the whole point is to make bullshit so you can advertise something eventually? Like that makes me so, so sad. sad. Yeah. So like instead, I think you should do it because you want to do it or you want to show people or kind of like, I think it's funny. My friends think it's funny. I think you'll think it's funny too. I think that's a way better reason to get into things than like I can be famous or I can blow up. So yeah. we didn't even put a lot of effort but into how did, how did trying to blow up. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. We were just online CESD. The commercial yeah. agency found it. And me and Jordan got signed with them. Really? Uh, then Jordan got that off. big State Farm commercial from it. Boom. Uh, yeah, but I'll, I mean, that's how I've gotten all of my representation was because they saw my stuff and they found me, uh, which I'm really lucky about that, um, that I haven't had to do that. Like, how do I find somebody? So my advice when somebody's like, how do I find an agent or a manager? Is, is try to make something good and, and try to put it out there because th- they can find it. Yeah. What was the experience like after college, like um, still working on waitlist stuff? Yeah, well, that's, that's, that's a hard, it's a hard thing to keep a group together once you actually have to worry about the real world. Um, everybody was kind of working on a whole bunch of things. We were trying to get this pilot off the ground that we had written um, but it was tough to find a day when we could all meet, you know, which is just tough. Were you general. out of college though? Like, didn't like MTV give you guys money and stuff like that to do stuff? Right. Yeah. So MTV, MTV wound up giving us, um, yeah, we, we signed a deal with MTV 
where we would make digital content for them because they kind of wanted, they were kind of putting together this platform that was kind of going to be like a BuzzFeed or like a funnier die. Um, it was actually a really great idea. It was headed by David Gale and David Harris over there, and they were awesome execs, were super friendly with us. Or David Gale is an exec, David Harris is now um, one over at Gunpowder and Sky, but I don't know, if, but he really liked us as well. Um, and so we um, made some sketches for them, but the platform itself never got off the ground. Mm -hmm. And then uh, an entire new exec team took over and they canned the digital project. They thought digital's not the future. Real smart MTV. Wow. And, uh, and so like our, our, our sketches went like, um, it was, they were supposed to, we were supposed to be one of a few big teams featured. Everything is terrible was another one of the other ones who is ran by uh, Dimitri, who is now the VP of Super Deluxe. Oh, um, cool. And he's super funny and they make really innovative stuff. Uh, it was it was going to be a great platform, but it it didn't happen. But we got to use that money and fund it fund a series that Jordan and I had written called Teenage Mountain Lion. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, we 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 made a couple sketches in um, previously while we were in college. We made Teenage Mountain Lion one and two, and then we were like, let's write the rest of the series. We always talk about it, um, and so we we got from the money we got from MTV, we kind of funneled it into that series. Yeah. That's so cool. And what was that on? That wound up getting bought by Hulu when we finished it like nine months later. And so, so it ran cool. on Hulu for two years before Hulu had a big change. Wow. Yeah. That's so cool. But, I mean, during all that, that was also really hard to keep everybody together because uh, opportunities are coming up or lack of opportunities are coming up and people have to get jobs and, you know. Um I actually, I got cast, my first audition out of high school, I got out of high school, my first audition out of college, I got cast in a national tour for Peter Pan, um, which my mother said, you need to take this, you've just got a job with a theater degree. And I was like, but I want to stay and keep writing and making stuff with the wait list. And she was like, you just got a job with a theater degree, go. Um, wow. And so I went on a tour, I went on a national tour for a year. I went, I lived in Atlanta for three months, Chicago for four months, and Boston for three months. Yeah. Did you like it? How yeah. was it? Uh, it was cool, it was cool. I, I, I was a little homesick, but I also really enjoyed seeing, like getting out of California, because I always lived in California, you know? So I, I actually got to experience weather for the first time. Yeah. That was pretty interesting. Um, and, uh, and in Chicago, it's the first day I got there, um, I, I had signed up for a Second City class as soon as I found out we were going to Chicago. So I would, I would go to Second City on my one day off, and I'd get there an hour early, and I'd just sit in the coffee shop and listen and wait and try to talk to people if they wanted to talk to me. If not, I'd just kind of get to know the scene. I was kind of writing something at the time that was based around the improv scene in Chicago, so I was kind of just observing. Um, but then I heard that there was an audition and I heard people going like, what are you going to do for that? How'd the audition go? And I was like, so what's the audition? And they were like, well, you need to be in acting level five or improv level four or whatever. And I had just done this show at uh, IO West right before I left called The Execution. And it was a, it was a American Idol of improv is the easiest way to describe it, where they cut one person every week. 
And to go along with the theme of Chris isn't good at sports, but he can win theatrical competitions, I won this competition. And that was what we made Teenage Mountain Lion for originally. That was the first episode is what we made that for. Um, So I was like, over explain this to the lady. Hey, I'm an improviser from LA. I'm out here with a play. If we could just, and this part's kind of like a movie because she was like, I don't really make those decisions. We usually don't make exceptions, but like that guy, and she points through like two glass walls and she's like, that guy can. And I go in there and I just, instead of trying to explain myself again, I just went like, um, she said it was okay to sign up for the uh, auditions uh, on Tuesday. And he was like, oh, uh, uh, all right. I was like, yeah, I'm from LA. It's complicated. I told her. And he was like, okay. And he put my name last on the list. What? And wow. I got in that show. And uh, Brittany Ashley was one of the five writers of that show. That's crazy. And Brittany Ashley is one of my best friends and writing partners now. And me and Brittany have done a bunch of things online together at BuzzFeed. And now on my own channel, she's like the second main character. That's pretty ballsy. So that's how I met Brittany. Yeah. Sweet. That's so cool. Yeah. Um, so now we're kind of going over your life story. I know. Now I'm just going into my life story. but This is cool. So what are some of your major... Um, other major milestones in your career till up till now like what would you say I mean the whole BuzzFeed experience was definitely very interesting I joined BuzzFeed when uh, the video team was just a row of desks it was about 15 people we had two cameras we had one room that was the video room it was like a wasn't even like a full room it was like under the stairs and uh, when I left, we had 500 people in a studio that was all just BuzzFeed video. Wow. So watching that growth and being there like from the start was definitely a really cool process. You were there for like three years? Maybe? I was there for two and a half years, yeah. Okay. But it feels like six years because it's so much. What was that experience like? It was, it was a really great learning experience because it was like boot camp you had to make you had to make five videos a month um so and that's you are the director the editor the conceptualizer the writer if it's theatrical you have to cast people maybe you're performing in it you have to do color correction sound design and then when you release it you have to think of the title the thumbnail all the description how how is it going to get clicks how are you going to bring traffic here uh, I mean, there's a team that also brings traffic there, but it's a lot for one person every three days to complete a video. Did they give you like good resources? Sure, yeah. Well, I mean, pr- pretty uh, decent resource. I mean, <laughs> you, you got to make your video with $300 in the equipment that they have. Really? Yeah, so not really. Um, yeah, so I was trying to make these, you know, I'd go back and forth from making a little theatricalized thing also at the beginning it was all about adapting posts that have done well before and posts at that time were all lists so it's like 15 things you do in college it's like that's it's only it's you're not allowed to do a video that's not like that so it's all post conversion so i that's what i was doing at the beginning but then they let us be a little more innovative and for like a year there was like a streak where we were like hitting a lot of fun but it was always really stressful because it was always you got to get five videos a month done Sometimes I would collaborate on other videos and that wouldn't count as my video. So like the misheard lyrics I do with Eugene, the best friends videos I did with Keith, um, I would be fine. Those are your videos. That's okay. 
and then I get in trouble later because I got zero credit for working on that video for two days. Really? It was a weird it's just like system. Become passionate about it, but then you don't get credit for it. It's not. I mean, it's that they're like you're not doing. It's like you're working overtime hours and hours every day and then you're told at the end of the month that you haven't been doing that wow and and it's uh and it was it was never that my videos weren't successful it was that i didn't have enough videos it was it was quant it was qual it was quantity that was their problem with me i was only producing four videos a month which is a lot of videos to produce a month but you yeah. know so that got that got a little stressful um and then I thought it was time to expand to other formats and BuzzFeed wasn't really into that. So, or they weren't giving the, me the proper resources. I got, I felt like they weren't into, um, they weren't very supportive. Um, they were never directly not supportive, but I understood that I was doing something that wasn't easily repeatable. And their, their whole mo model is, make things that are easily repeatable. And when you're making comedy, that's not easily repeatable because not everybody's good at that. Um, not everybody can act, not everybody can write something, and uh, but everybody can make a list or you know, Photoshop celebrities' eyebrows off and make yeah. 15 celebrities without eyebrows. So they're like, we don't care about your complex good humor. We want easy to make videos that are I wouldn't get very rewarded at BuzzFeed for um, innovation. So is that why you ultimately Ultimately, I wasn't getting the right support. In, in addition to in the middle of making a series, they fired my co-writer and co-star who I had been pushing to make this series with for months. And, and technically different people fired them than the people who approved the series but the fact that there was no communication or there was no concern for my project and the thing that i'd been working on for months felt very clear to me that they didn't really care about me anymore wow damn that's so crazy. i finished that's like the video and then i left wow and then you started your own channel. yeah then i started my own channel also you know i like that i just left you know i like that but maybe have a plan when you leave a job. I kind of had a plan because Jordan and Kwame had just gotten a show with ABC Digital and they were like, you can be the head writer of this. And I was like, great, I'm going to leave, go be a head writer. And then digital platforms, man, then that uh, platform collapsed. A lot of people have a similar story. I thought I had a show on ABC Digital and then they disintegrated ABC trying Digital. trying to copy the BuzzFeed model. I, I don't know. Yeah, well, everybody thought internet is the future. It still is. People are just trying to figure out how to monetize off of it. And ABC did very similarly to what MTV did. Yeah. Is they put all these development funds into it. They picked us up and then they decided maybe we shouldn't make a website. Wow. Yeah. So it was re MTV and ABC Digital are really similar situations. Um, so I worked on writing, um, and I made this channel on my own as well. Yeah. Cool. So you pretty went like really fast from having like no subscribers on YouTube to like five hundred thousand subscribers. Like that was pretty fast. I feel like like a few days or something like that. Yeah. How? Well, what? I learned a lot from BuzzFeed, right? Like I used BuzzFeed's formula in order to get those followers because YouTube works a specific way. The secret formula. 
<laughs> well, while at BuzzFeed, I noticed was trending. When people would do those videos, they would get millions of views. But I don't like vlogs. I don't like the video. I felt like the, the hating on the company felt a little weird, but I knew that this is my in. This is the way people click, and then I need to show them something that's a real advertisement of what I can do and what I'll do here. So you can see that video if you haven't, but it starts like a vlog and then it ends like a one take uh, extended shot that kind of goes above and beyond where you expect it to go. Yeah, and it introduces crazy. the story that I wound up threading throughout videos for, um, for a year. So what was your initial strategy to getting people even to click that? Like how? Like I don't understand. Like it it's called like Why it's really I Left BuzzFeed. People, this viral video was planned. Yeah. Oh, for viral, sure. Like really hard. Oh yeah. What went into that? What was the thought process? Well, I mean, it's really that simple. Sacrificing your content and being a sellout. Well, if that's that's by I, I I use this formula a lot at the beginning of the channel. I'm trying to wean off of it, but it sucks because it works. But um, but you pick something that gets people to people are wondering why you know they know that i've showed up in a lot of buzzfeed videos i have a bright thumbnail of me looking kind of unsure i have text in the thumbnail it's all capital letters there's a lot of like formula put into it um and people clicked because they were curious how much of that formula are you can you elaborate on and how much is like can you well i mean that i mean that's the basics of it there there's a lot of there's a lot of things that do well, like, like verses, like, um, if this was that does well, um, what, what else? There's, there's a whole bunch of them. I mean, you can go on Buzzfeed, you can see what's working right now, or especially at the time because they always change. Um, but yeah, there's a, there's a, there's an appeal, there's a formula there. So that, that was totally formulated. But then my hope with my videos, because a lot of them look like they could just be a BuzzFeed video, but then when you click on it, the content is totally different than what you expected. And so that's what I had faith in the audience, that they'd be smarter than you give them credit for and that they'd get it. And I was lucky that that paid off and they did. Wow. But it's also just a huge advertisement for the channel. You know, like the whole thing is like, is like, like look really at all these things I can do. Subscribe to the channel. I'll do them all. That so was, yeah, I mean it was so smart. It was such a cool. So video. I was like, why would I make why I left Buzzfeed? I don't really care. The only reason I would make it was to get you to subscribe to my channel. So let's let's make that. Let's start it. But if I call it why you should subscribe to this channel, nobody's gonna click on it. Yeah. So I call it why I left Buzzfeed. You That's know? so cool. Um, so how much do you think your Buzzfeed success is? If you can like tribute to your success now do you think a lot of it's because people recognize you and they're like or do you think it, maybe it's less than you would think um i mean in the digital sphere like buzzfeed's super important to why people are following me and why why people would click on my channel in the first place um and buzzfeed got me in front of millions of people you know and so I'm very thankful for that. And they taught me how to edit and they taught me how to make things real scrappy, which I use all the time as well. Um, 
So, I, I mean, I, I'd attribute a lot, but just as much as I would attribute to, in the business sense, I would attribute a lot in the like internal knowledge sense. I'd attribute a lot to BuzzFeed, a lot to studying theater, a lot to improv and just doing comedy and just improvising, a lot to the waitlist and working with the waitlist. Waitlist works very differently than BuzzFeed and it's important. That's why Jordan's writing movies now, <laughs> you yeah. know, because they really, uh, my, I have a short film on my channel called My Girlfriend's Gay Friend. And, so amazing oh thanks and so that cool. that that's that has a lot more care in it than my buzzfeed videos and that's because while i was training at buzzfeed for three years jordan was writing you know what i mean it's like jordan was just writing and writing and writing and writing so he got really good at that and he takes every every little bit of it very seriously where i've learned from buzzfeed of like just go 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 through it not everything needs to be perfect um and so I, I think you can apply both of those things at different times. But I think both of those things are important. Yeah. That's, so I think those are two kind of different paths in a way. That's interesting. How do you go about like collaborating with someone when you're coming at it from those two different like perspectives? Like, are you, is there conflict from that? Well, sometimes we, we, we made, my, my girlfriend's gay friend was supposed to come out four and a half weeks earlier than because I was like, you guys, it's fine. Just just go. And Mark was like, no, like this is my baby now and like we need to get original music and 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 that's that's good. That's filmmaking, you know? Like that's a cool process, but I was also doing in a businessman sense, I was going every week I'm getting 100,000 subscribers and the week I don't upload the video, these subscribers are going to slow down. And I don't want to push my friends into a place where they're uncomfortable artistically, but at the same time, we got to get this video up. So what'd you do? You just made other videos in that time? I, I kind of, I, I, I made one, one video with a bunch of puns in it. That's, that's stretching. That's me stretching time to try to get to my girlfriend's gay friend. Um, but yeah, I mean, if I'm going to be totally honest, I plateaued the subscribers at that point. And I think if, we didn't care as much about the art. We could have kept growing. But that's kind of like, that's the dilemma. That's always the dilemma. <laughs> yeah, it's like a fine line between the quality and the, the growth. Yeah, at the end of the day, I think it's, I think I, I'm more proud to look back on what we have now than what we had four weeks before we released it. Yeah. So artistically, I, I'm happy with that decision. Businessman-wise, um, maybe I should have planned a contingency so that I could have kept releasing videos because that big gap slowed me down. That's hard. It's hard to strike that balance. I mean, do you find yourself even now like making those different like sacrifices for each one? Like, how do you navigate those decisions when you have a project? I mean, that's a really broad question, so you can answer that however you want. With deadlines and stuff, you With, mean? I, I mean, I guess if you, you just have... On one hand, you're thinking like, oh, I need to like a target audience and like a niche and like I need to grow. But then I'm like, I just actually want to make this because it's really funny. Yeah. At, at BuzzFeed, um, w you think about the title and thumbnail for so long without talking about the content. Like the, all the brainstorms are about what is the title and what is the thumbnail. And maybe there's something to learn from this as well. I one time remember vividly getting going oh we're gonna do a deep dive on the channel today about what's working and what's not working and 
what we should do moving forward. And we were 45 minutes into the meeting and all we had talked about were the titles and the thumbnails. We didn't talk about the content of any video. And that's crazy to me, but there's also a lesson to learn there. You know, like that is important. I like that. That's how, why people click on things. So at BuzzFeed, you wouldn't just write something because you thought it would, was funny. You'd write it because the title and the thumbnail were good. And I don't think about that as much anymore. Wait, so you, would you have the content already and then no. the title and thumbnail? You, you think of a title and a thumbnail first and then make the content. For sure. 100%. Really? Yeah, yeah. Maybe not thumbnail, but you have an idea of what the thumbnail looks like. Um, Those were like the pitches for like video ideas. Yeah. Like, this is the title, this is the thumbnail, and then make an, a video that fits Oh, yeah. This. I mean, you're just trying to find the right title. That's what a brainstorm is. It's just trying to find the title that people will click on. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's such a opposite for most people way to think about things. For sure. Well, it's putting the audience first, right? And I'm from a theater um, training, and I'm from uh, improv background, which is a little bit like, fuck the audience, we're doing art up here. Yeah. You know, so that didn't sit well with me and i thought we'd be making better things if we focused on making better things and then we had to have the discussion of whether the goal was to make better things yeah or whether the goal was to make things that people click on and it's the latter well there's some great executive producers at buzzfeed that have a good way of making you look at things that, that make you feel better of like, this is what people resonate with. This is what people are sharing and using to express themselves. Like you may think that 14 big boob problems is a stupid clickbait video, but there's also a girl out there who has all these big boob problems. Who's like, Oh my God, finally someone gets me. And then she shares it with her friend. She's like, do you understand me? You know, like they, they look at content as a piece of communication, not as a, freestanding thing, which I think is really cool and really smart. And his way um, of explaining it to me was always something that kind of put me back into like a, no, this guy's good. He's an artist too, you know, like, but he, but he, he does care about the audience more than I care about the audience, but, but it seems like it's in a good way. That's interesting. It's not like, yeah, just do it for the clicks, baby. It's like, do it to make people share it and res take your content and share it with their friends and resonate with it he and talk like about he's it. He's good at communicating. He's really good at communicating. Well, he's like, look at it like a party. Like how are people going to use your video to talk to each other or to express themselves? You think that person's secretly like, it's all about the clicks, baby. All about the clicks. I mean, he's, 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 he's good at business. We got to talk to these artists. We got to tell them what they want to hear. <laughs> I, I don't know. Yeah, I mean... Well, this, I'm talking about Andrew Gautier, who, who is an EP there, who I have a lot of respect for and I think is great. But he also comes from a very different background than me. So he does come from more of a like business background, but he can speak a creative language. That's why I think he's good. Um, Zay Frank is the, uh, was the president of video there while I was there. And he was from an extremely artistic background and turned into kind of an extreme businessman while I was there. Wow. And it was, he started, I remember when I started that he wore tennis shoes and when I, and I remember the day he started wearing alligator boots. Oh wow. And he continued to wear alligator boots. Oh no. And, uh, and I, 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 I don't know. I connected with him at the beginning and, and then it wasn't happening by the end. But yeah. I, I respect him as an artist. I think he made great things. 
So somewhere in there. That's so funny. He's a smart guy. He's a very smart guy. But um, I don't know. Yeah, th- there's a little bit of like the quits, baby. Yeah, it's an interesting balance for sure. Um, and kind of changing topics. Uh, when you first started your YouTube channel, you, I mean, you had a pretty cool production. And how do you go about acquiring that, especially after leaving BuzzFeed? Not that you don't have money, but I'm just saying, like, how did you just – it requires some investment there. Yeah, I actually wanted to start the channel probably about six months before I started it um, because then I had to find funding. Um, and I had some people who wanted to give me funding in exchange for ownership, and I had business people, managers telling me it wasn't a good plan for me. And I finally met at Awesomeness TV – um, How? What's that process like? You're my like, manager, my manager got it for me. I'm I'm represented at Anonymous Content, and uh, and he he found the connection, and uh, and brought me in. I, I connected with the guy over there as well, and he was great. And they offered me a budget, um, and a lot of resources in exchange for relatively little. Like really, honestly, I'm not sure why it's a great business plan for them, but I don't. But don't tell them that. No, but they they they're really supportive of me and they're really awesome, and uh, they don't even make me write that this is funded by Awesomeness TV or anything. Really? Like I'm almost I'm glad that they don't because I don't want people to think that they are quote unquote the sponsors. Like the fact that I get to create that fake villain is because Awesomeness TV has been so creatively hands off with me. Wow. So I'm really lucky to have them. I did get a two-year budget and went through it in like eight months. <laughs> uh, they gave me a little more, but I'm still about to go through it again. So we'll see what happens then. But wow. either way, I completely appreciate what they've done for me. That's really um, cool. Um, so I know you, you, I feel like you, I mean, you, you do have experience like working with networks and working with like production companies and like that whole upper world of entertainment and i'm just like i don't really know much about that world and like how to navigate like if you have an idea and you want to make something happen like what what's that process like like from ideation to getting it uh you know produced and distributed like what has that experience been like for you yeah i can tell you what the experience has been like for me like i i don't know if different people go through different things or if there are other ways around these steps that I'm, I can explain what we did. Um, I, I think there's a, there's a, I, I have a couple different shows. I have one project I'm not allowed to say an incredible amount about, but it's with my writing partner, Sterling Brim, um, who is an, uh, on a show on MTV. Uh, and we, we got that sold to a network this year while I was doing this, channel we actually sold it before i started the channel oh wow (laughs) and so and i was like kind of like this will take a while so which it totally did everything takes so much longer than you expect it to um but we'll we'll be nearing the end of the development process finding out if we go to series or not around the one year mark of my channel so you said you sold it Um, yeah how how does that happen yeah like what's that like like what's your involvement like in selling show well as i've said i mean like, you don't have to go into details well, but like the process well just i mean if you if you learn one thing from 
what I focus on, it's also finding a good team, you know, like, like I did with the wait list, like I did with Brittany, uh, like I did with Sterling. It's like, I thought Sterling was incredibly funny when I met him when I was 21 and I, or when we were 20 maybe. And I was like, this guy's hilarious. And so he, when he started getting interested in comedy, he started coming to my shows and he's like, Hey, I'd love to write some comedy. And I was like, let's do it. So we would just get together and write to write. You know what I mean? So when I left BuzzFeed, he was like, Hey, you want to get that show back off the ground that we always talked about? Because we talked about a show. We, we actually, we wrote, we did, we made a couple, uh, sketches for it. Um, and, uh, and kind of when we were about to go try to take it out, Sterling got this MTV show. He actually got two MTV shows and a Nickelodeon show. And I started over at BuzzFeed. And we both kind of just started doing our own yeah. things. But then we got back together. We wrote out a bunch of our sketches. We reread them. We are like, oh, this stuff's really funny. Uh, we kind of matured the show up a little bit. We, we re, retweaked some things. And then we, our managers took us to some production companies. And that's just having well-connected managers. Well, one of Sterling's managers... <laughs> seems to have always like met somebody at a party in their 20s in his 20s like he's always like we had this crazy house on king's road and <laughs> this girl was over there all the t this guy was over there all the t that guy and he uh i mean people who are super social and know everybody are extremely helpful so he brought us into the room um with like five different production companies we got a couple different bites we went with a production company and then we developed it with that production company talked out the idea a little longer put together a pitch and then you go to networks and you go to MTV one day and then BET the next day. And then a week later you're going to Comedy Central and then you're going to IFC and then you're going to, you know, wow. Netflix, except Netflix didn't want to sketch show, So we didn't go to Netflix, but, um, we went to a number of different places and I don't know if I can say which one, but one of them bought bit. Yeah. Um, and they have a, yeah. So that's how we did it. That's so cool. And then it took five months to get the contract through. So obviously everything takes longer than you think it's going to oh, take. Oh yeah. <laughs> so obviously a huge element is like being well connected and having managers and stuff like that. But for someone maybe like in my situation, just like recently out of college or like in their early twenties and they yeah. want to like do that kind of thing and like eventually like pitch TV shows, like what advice would you give to them? Well, I, the other thing I do like, and th cause that that's one project and Granted, I I believe Sterling being a television personality and and you know having a million followers on Instagram may, may have fast tracked that process a little bit. Also, Sterling's an extremely boisterous personality; he's very funny. Uh, that might have streamlined that process. But additionally, I mean, I go on a, especially in that right after I got out of Busby, go on a bunch of general meetings. You tell people kind of about all your ideas. And they go, hey, that one sounds really interesting. With who? Like, what do you mean? So I might go meet and meet with. Um, so your manager. Your yeah. Manager would set them up. I was meeting up. I was meeting with like a lot of digital companies in general, and I basically just had a long sheet of like here are ten ideas, and some of them I had full scripts for. Some of them I didn't have at all. Um, you know, some of them were just the idea on the page, and you kind of go, hey, this is who I am. Kind of a conversation like this, and then like, and these are my things. And then they let you know which one of those things you're interested in. The problem with that process is that they want to see a full script, unless you're, you know, Zach Galifianakis or something. Who's like, I want to do the Zach Galifianakis project, and they're like funded. You know, they they want to see everything, and that's why it's really hard at the beginning, is because 
you know, Sterling and I were lucky to sell on concept, but like that's super rare. So Brittany and I, for example, are going are also going around. Uh, Brittany sold a couple things and and we we need a complete script. You know, like we, we have one project we really like, but we haven't had the time to finish the script because obviously, as I've explained, we all have a lot of things going on. But you need that final script, which so I think that if you're a writer and you really want to make something, I, I would almost advise against my ADD mentality, which is tr- kind of try to do everything and, and like finish a script that you think is really great. Because then that really that really great script script if you can't sell it you can at least get it in somebody's hands to show them you can write. Yeah, I, I noticed like obviously a huge thing in LA is like people are like read my script, dude. I wrote a script, read it. Oh. And but like, just how a do lot you of like get... San Diego surfer bros. Yeah, I just I feel yeah, that's, dude. A, that's LA to me now. Yeah, bro, you check out my script yet? Oh yeah, dude, I wrote a script. Check Fuck out. yeah, dude, let's go skating. And everyone's and talk like, about dude, come on, please read my script. I don't know, but like, how do you? I mean, I guess there is an element of like you have a pretty decent resume to get yourself like your foot in doors. So, is it is there any actionable thing that someone can do if they're relatively unknown, or is it kind of like just building the following? You think or building? I don't know if it's building the following. I think it's building something good. You know, it could be about building the following. That's like one way in. But it could also be about just making something really good. And hopefully it's something you like, so that when you finish it, what whatever happens, you're like, I've made something I like. Yeah. That kind of goes back to like, I think make something good over make something popular. Um, obviously, if it's popular and good, mwah, you've got the sweet spot. But, I mean, I'm a. I I just met a creator who, um, showed me something, a few weeks ago, and he was like. I made this this uh, narrative about a YouTuber and the entire thing is stop motion. And I made the whole stop motion thing with a Batman action figure for the past year. And it's like really well done. And wow. I'm like, how do you do this? And he's like, I just, I don't know. I did it every day after work for a whole year and spent a couple months straight on it. And wow. I was like, like I hope, I, I mean, I, I've told him that I'd love to be part of the project because I, I, I hope that turns into a success story because I think that's the coolest way to get it. Like, fuck it, I'll do it myself, you know? And then people can see if it's good that they can do something with it. That's cool. Um, okay, this is a slightly different topic, but on the same vein. How do you go about, because you mentioned like team, a team is so important. Um, how do you go about choosing a team? To collaborate with what do you look for i mean I, li- I like when i think people are funny and i like their stuff is yeah. the big thing um yeah that, i mean that's that's the big one for me is when i think someone's good i should say rather than funny because they can be good and they don't have to be the cent- the life of the party or something yeah um but yeah, or somebody makes something that you might make, or oh my god, if I could collaborate with that person, that would make something great. A unique perspectives. I mean, I think a really attractive element to me about both Sterling and Brittany are their extremely unique and different perspectives, and their relentlessness to to like want to make it about their identity in a way, which is great because they both have really strong points of view. Brittany in the queer space and Sterling 
as a black man both have really strong points of view and yeah. and i and i i'm learning as i write with them and you know uh so i, I love strong points of view i love funny people and uh and people who are good that's how i feel cool well, what about on the other side of things have you ever collaborated with someone where you're like i can't ever do that again or yeah I guess yeah. What kind of characteristics? I mean, it's important to realize that you're going to want to work with these people again. I I I should more say that I didn't want to become that person either, because sometimes I can be a little, uh, maybe like naggy or guilt trippy or like, hey man, I really need this. Can you do this for me? Knowing that you might spend more time on it than I will, you know, like. I didn't want to become that person in my girlfriend's gay friend situation, for example. I didn't want to become like someone who's like, you're not having fun working with that person. Yeah, so, you're just like guilting them into working really hard and stuff. I think sometimes people on that set right forget that they, you still like, you can, you can be articulate with your point of view and what you want. You can stick on something and not budge, but once you become someone that people are rolling their eyes at, like they don't, it doesn't really matter how good your stuff is. Like nobody really wants to be around you anymore. Really? So what kind of things like should you avoid doing? I'd say stay calm. Uh, like some people panic, which sometimes turns into anger or frustration. Totally. Uh, it's really important for, especially people in like leadership roles to stay calm. I really love working with Jared Popkin. He's really good at staying calm and yeah. going and going like, Jared is oh, okay, coach. well then we'll just do this. And you're like, oh God, I, cause like sometimes I'll go like, I don't know what we're going to do. Oh, this might all be over. I'm going to like text six people and ask their advice. And Jared's instead, really good at like controlling the situation. Yes. Yeah, being like, like relax. He's the best. He's such a good communicator too. He is. He's a really good communicator. Because he was able to like talk to our improv team in such a like smart way. And he still is. He's still coaching them. Right yeah. Now. Yeah. yeah, and he's like a good like producer in that way as well because he's giving you he's communicate. He's also actually Jared was the other guy cast in that Second City show in Chicago. Oh really? Yeah. Oh, that's right. So that's actually how I met Jared as well. But he's a, a very good communicator and stays calm, and I think that's really good. I think listening is really important, um, and knowing when you need to have answers and when you need to ask questions. Because sometimes you need to have answers. You can't yeah. just ask a bunch of questions. But sometimes if you if you can't collaborate, you're not fun to work with. Cool. Yeah, that's true. And then if somebody's doing something great, give them credit. Go like, oh my God, I, like, I couldn't have done this without you either. That was a great performance. Or the way that looked was so good. Like if you like an edit, let that person know. Like, you know? You should give credit when it's due. Yeah. And, and positive reinforcement. Being positive is important yeah i agree that's really important yeah which isn't to say just be nice and sacrifice the quality yeah don't you know? be like facetiously kind yeah don't just but be like i guess that'll work yeah if you don't think it'll work but a lot of times it might work you know i i i freak out sometimes and go no this isn't working at all and then it turns out it is working do you usually are you usually in a position where you're leading the creative like charge in a way like or is it totally collaborative the whole time like mutually like you're both working on it or, or you ever like i'm kind of leading this 
and then like I think the other it goes, sense of creative I think it control. ebbs and flows with different people. And then also, if I'm making it, a lot of the time I'm on the production team as well as the creative team. Mm-hmm. So I'll kind of go, okay, we're creating, we're creating, but now I got to put on my production hat and be like, deadlines. This is when we're shooting. So in a way, you're like leading the creative, but like in a in a way, you're you're not. Yeah. Does that make sense? Like, because you're kind of like the boss who's like hey when are we get, are those this should be on my desk by five but you're also like i'm not the boss guys i'm just one of you yeah how do you balance that like is it like is if you're in both wearing both hats do you does that ever leak into the creative side and they're like sure. why are you like being my boss right now when we're collabing well i, I felt like that kind of like uh, sometimes in my sketch group i'll feel like because I'm trying to push for, like, releasing consistently or, like, push for a certain thing to be like, wait, why are you, like, bossing us? Yeah, that's hard. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's that's a that's a tough thing that I still have to figure out completely, you know? Because sometimes I won't want to get into those conflicts, and so I will let something take five weeks to be edited. You know what I mean? Okay. Uh, am I sounding bitter about this? Fact? I don't mean to sound bitter about it. <laughs> But, you know, like, I go up against that, too, you know? And, and at the end of the day, are you like... Uh, for me, for that situation, it's like, at the end of the day, do I care about some subscribers or do I care about my relationship with these, you know, these awesome filmmakers? And for me, that cost-benefit analysis, like, being a good collaborator to them and understanding that in the filmmaking world, things do take time, and we did make a film for the internet space, so give it its time. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's tough cause you are playing both roles. So I think it's just the nature of it. Yeah. It's difficult. So how do you go about allocating your time? Cause you're working on, I feel like you're working on a ton of things. It's true. And you're real busy. Like how do you determine what you're going to work on? Well, I just erased this whiteboard before you came over here, but it was full of a bunch of like it was full of everything in my head that I need to do. <laughs> I have that too. I have a whiteboard full of everything. Yeah, from it's so it is stressful. Well, I mean, I'm. I think scheduling is an important thing, and routine is an important thing, especially when you're like self-employed. You gotta make sure you like put on your clothes and get to work <laughs> by nine thirty, you know, or whatever time you want to start work. What's um, your daily routine like? Um. I wake up around eight o'clock. My girlfriend goes to work. I usually work over here on the digital channel until about 12.30 or one. I might be writing script or editing or um, doing that stuff. Or like I have solo work in the morning. So sometimes it's a digital channel. Sometimes it's an audition. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's a voiceover read. You know, sometimes it's 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 the default is the channel like if i okay I'm, i don't have anything else to do i'll do the channel um and then i'll go to sterling's house because we're writing this project right now and i'll work there until about eight whoa so that's like eight hours yeah nice. we'll smoke a joint at like five thirty though <laughs> you know like we'll like work hard on the script and then we'll like smoke and talk and Actually, sometimes that's the most productive part. Um, sometimes you think of more ideas, and yeah. you know, in the evening, as as time goes on, like it gets it gets more relaxed after like six. Um, 
And then I'll I'll come home. I'll try to hit the gym either after Sterling's or in between if I can. I'm trying to go to the gym, you know. That's good. Um, my best weeks I make meal prep at the beginning of the week so that I can not have to make food all the yeah. time. Um, but that's pretty much it. That's pretty much my routine. So you're working on any like side projects or anything like that? Yeah, the hard part is that I'm constantly working on on side projects, and I constantly make of new things. And the really hard part is going like, what actually deserves my attention? Yeah. Um, so what's that like? Well, how do you choose? It well, what what you're being paid for is always uh, what what you're being paid for, and what you really love always kind of takes my my first couple spots. Um, but then I'll so then I'll like okay, well. I'm being paid for this show with Sterling right now. I'm being paid for the channel. I really want to make this thing with Brittany, but we have to write like 100 pages. And we have like 45 or 50. So I'll, I'll at least like, I'll, we'll make slow progress. You know, I'll meet, wait, can you meet next weekend, Brittany? Can you meet the weekend after that? So at least you're making some progress. I mean, now Keith is figuring out what the next step of his career is. I mean, Keith do a lot of unscripted stuff together and he's kind of a, unscripted guy he's super successful at unscripted so i don't want to miss that opportunity so you know i'm like i i gotta get together with keith we gotta figure out what our unscripted pitch would be so schedule a lunch with him so at least you're slowly moving even if you can't like you can't do everything right but then that's why i love the collaborator collaborators as well because then you can slowly move forward with those people when you see those people and for me if i was working on every single thing myself i might be crushed yeah I have a screenplay I've been working on, just me, myself, and that always gets kicked to the bottom of the list because it's just me, myself. When I have like a, I have, I like, I have 75 pages I really like, but I haven't been able to finish it because, you know, you got to work and, and yeah. then collaborators get. Do you feel like priority. you, do you feel like you are ever in a position where you might be letting people down by focusing on other things and you're like, oh, I, oh, I have to push this meeting back and like. Sure. Do people ever get like annoyed by that? Sure. Yeah. That I mean that happens a lot. People, it's you have to forgive people for being busy, which is tough to do sometimes because you want everyone to work the same way you want to work. But I mean that's also why it's great to have somebody who is super in the saddle with you. You know, somebody who wants to get it completely done which jordan has been for me at points sterling is for me right now he's like this is what i want this is what i'm doing we'll do it all day um and those people are super important to have for me some people can can um you know can can self-discipline themselves like that um i mean the the audience helps me like with the digital channel that's all me but the audience pumps me up a lot you know and the resources, like I have, I have a crew and Jared is producing and Mark who's directing some stuff. Like those people are awesome and they extre- they're extremely helpful. But if I if I stopped, I don't know if Jared would go like, I'm going to pick this up and I'm going to keep because it's my, you know, it's yours. It's, yeah. it's yours, Chris. So um, the audience pushes me a lot in that way. That I mean, to be perfectly honest, if I'm, feeling down about things which which happens to get him out i'll i'll like sometimes go back to videos and read comments and be like no they want they care somebody cares out there you know or somebody will That's cool. somebody will That's have an extended reassuring. conversation with me at a bar or at a on the street and that'll that'll actually make me feel really 
like that'll feel like the same motivation of having a collaborator. Yeah, I mean, you remember why you're doing it to make people like your content. Yeah, laugh. Yeah, I had one guy talk to me at a bar, like in detail about what his theories were about my series. Really, and it kept me going like for like two months. It, really? I was like, he was so into it. And I was like, oh, my God, people care. You're not just being a self-indulgent creep in your house, you know? And uh, That's so great. And that, that kept me going. So, yeah, I think, I think telling people, you know, giving, giving people some compliments can be helpful sometimes. That's you know? cool. Give people compliments out there if you like their work. Yeah. Um, so I'll ask you one more thing because I know we went – bit long yeah i know cool. you could probably cut stuff though too no this is cool i mean most of, most of these are long so i like them um i did feel like i got caught up in high school for too long i was like these are good stories but good. i don't think they're that's what this podcast is about well people want to know i don't know that's cool i like it. i do have some great high school stories i gotta get on a high school story podcast yeah dude that's the good stuff um okay so what do i want to ask what so I'll ask you some things just about advice. Like, what advice would you give to just generic advice to someone starting out that wants to, you know, have a career as, you know, get to where you are now, like where they're doing cool stuff and like getting in front of cool people and also being like self-employed, like doing what they love. Um, I think, I mean, I think learning is very important. First and foremost, I think what, you know, watching a lot of people you like and then figuring out why you like them and why what they're doing is good, why their scene work is good or why they're funny. Some people are just funny because they're funny and that's great. But sometimes, especially as a writer, you got to be like, oh, I mean, I saw a show last week where they were judging people on stage and they, they, they were like, I don't know, that was just way funnier than the last scene, even though they had the same copy. It was like, it was that actor scene. And I was like, it was because they made it about each other. The two actors made it about each other. Yeah. Like that, that's what made their scene, even though with the same exact dialogue, more interesting than the other scene because of the relationship. So like sometimes you can break things down like that and that's been super helpful for me because then you get kind of this not bag of tricks but you get a philosophy of how you work or why something's good um, and people have different philosophies. What's yours like? Is that a long thing? I mean also I don't care. I'd actually be curious. Um, if you can break it down that'd be cool. I mean I think for example I think relationship is like a really important thing that sometimes people forget about. Like it's always going to come back to the relationship. That's uh, like a pretty you know, simple basic, but uh, I think visual jokes are really important. I mean, I, I there's there's a number of things. I, I have larger philosophies, and then I have a bag of tricks. You know, uh -huh. like so. The, I I think visual jokes are really important if you're making a film sketch. Like, what is also funny on screen? What are the the way you're telling the story? How do you conceptualize that? Do you like actually draw it out or think of it in your head? Because those, those are harder, I feel like. Well, I sometimes I'll draw it out, but it's also that improv idea of, of don't talk about the activity. Like what is happening on screen while you're talking about something else? Um, how can I make this interesting? 
I just had a, I just wrote this long scene, which might come out a lot around the same time as this podcast, but I wrote this long kind of interrogation scene. It was a lot of like philosophy, but there wasn't a lot of like good scene work in there. And then I, I realized that if I made the characters a little more care about each other a little more instead of doing exposition of the entire thing. And then I realized if I also put some action in there, um, like a lot more is happening. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I'm sorry. I feel like that was a bad philosophy. You can cut that. That's cool. Um, Do you have a certain, like, where do you start when you're writing like a longer piece? Like, what's the first thing you like to do? Maybe like a screenplay. Yeah. Those um, can be intimidating. It is. I mean, structure is really important as well. Like, understanding structure, both in terms of sketch or in terms of television or in terms of film, is really important. And a lot of people especially like artistic people who want to do it their own way, like have this idea that I can reject structure. Even if you choose to reject structure, know structure, like mm -hmm. understand structure. What did you learn about it? Just observing or did you actually? Uh, I learned it? a lot about the structure of a scene and the structure of comedy through studying improv mm -hmm. um, of, you know, uh, of how scenes work about how, a scene, is, a scene to me is about change. So something needs to change from the beginning to the end, usually within the per people or about the relationship or about how people feel about each other. Um, and yeah, there's a lot of different elements to the structure of a scene itself. Uh, usually revealing new information that affects the relationship, having an emotional reaction to that. Those are basics to me in a, in a and scene. And you're thinking of that in the back of your mind when you're writing. Yeah, well, well especially when you get stuck. You know, um, Dan Harmon has a uh, um, website on the what? What is it? It's on um, Channel One Hundred One. Uh, Dan Harmon has a. Let me start this over. Dan Harmon has a uh, website on Channel One Hundred One that's called Super Basic Shit, and he draws a circle and he puts lines through it, and all those lines are like story points of a hero's journey. Uh, you go find change. You, uh, somebody wants something. You, who is the person? They want something. They go and find it. Uh, they, they, they uh, lose something in order to obtain it. Uh, and then they come back having completed it and having changed. They come back home having changed. You can look it up. It's better than that. That's you know, it's cool. the it's the hero's so journey. Is that, is that a resource that you yeah. find really helpful? Yeah. Well, the hero's journey is kind of a classic, you know, resource. But that is a really easy breakdown of it. Yeah. It, and um, so in structure, you can always go, "How am I doing that? How am I bringing it back?" I just wrote a sci-fi thing. I've never written a sci-fi thing, and it was coming very expositiony. And so I actually watched, watched Rick and Morty, and I realized that they they sandwich the exposition with what they think about each other so he goes like um uh yeah typical you wimping out morty the the aliens here have guitars as hands and if you play them blah 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 then you can get out of here but you wouldn't do that you little bitch you know what i mean like like yeah. and so that instead of just saying the aliens here have guitar hands 
uh, or whatever, you're now sandwiching it between a relationship, you know? So, uh, so I'll constantly watch things and, and try to break them apart and see what's happening. That, that was just like a couple weeks ago. I was like, how do they do it? Um, so I feel like it's like the equivalent of like a musician hearing a song and then playing it. Yeah. Like picking up the, it's like identifying the structure and then being able to like kind of unload it. Right. Is, are there any particular other resources that you found really helpful for writing? Yeah. I mean, as much as I hate to say it, I think Save the Cat is a very helpful book by um, Snyder. What's his first name? I don't remember. I'll get it right. And uh, Brett Blake Snyder. Um, it's a, do you know this book? Yeah, I've heard of it. Yeah. It's like a very famous like screenwriting book. Yeah, right? it's a screenwriting book. It says that there are only like eight types of story and they're all kind of told the same way. And that does as a like artist who's like, fuck you, Hollywood. It uh, does make you go like, who the hell is the guy who wrote Blank Check here to tell me about how to write a movie? While Blank Check is great. I don't mean to say Blank Check is not great. It is. It's like, I don't know. Why do I... Why am I listening? He simplifies it so much that it's like annoying. It's like, he, you know what he says? He says the first thing you should think about is how it's going to be advertised in the paper. Oh, what Back does the, your movie poster oh, look like? What is your title and thumbnail? That's what he's asking, right? He's asking what your title and thumbnail is. Wow. And, and I didn't like that philosophy when I read it. I do not think that should be the first book you read. I think you should obtain an education and then learn that. Um, I think story Where you get education. Story by Robert McGee yeah. is a little more of like an artistic approach, kind of breaks down movies better. Um, I've written, I've read a couple screenwriting books that I think are fine. I don't know if they're worth recommending. Um, but mostly those. Uh, I I would also recommend. Uh, Top of the Rock, which is a historical book about television. It's about NBC during its heyday. It's a book Gerard Carmichael recommended to me, and I read it, and I think it's interesting, and it explains a lot about how business in Hollywood has worked historically. That's cool. I think that stuff is really interesting um, about about how business in Hollywood works in general because you, you figure out a lot. And you, and you see how people are working. Um, I feel like I had one more. Uh, I mean, the simple, the improv book, Truth in Comedy by Del Close is a, a, a constant influence to get that ground floor. It's a good one. Um, I feel like I had another book, but I don't remember what it is. And then just reading screenplays over and over again. There's small things yeah. that you pick up just reading screenplays. Do you just do you read screenplays of existing movies or like your friends' screenplays and like people's uh, both, season screen? Both, but I, I think both, but I think uh, I think real movies is super helpful. Uh, you know what I use all the time that I took from something about Mary the script? Off his look, we cut to love that line. Oh, wow. Because so many scenes end with someone's look, right? But then, like, it feels like it's not a good ending to a scene unless you write off his look we cut to. Oh, that's great. Yeah. You know, small things like that. Just by by reading more and more, I realized that I was was writing a piece that was kind of like The Office uh, with the talking heads. And I was like, how do you write? Do you have to go interior confessional every single time? 
And then I was like, oh, maybe you should read The Office. And then I read The Office, and they just underline talking head, and it, it loses a bunch of space. It's better. Oh, wow. You know what I mean? Like, you just it's see... Like little I mean, you if, if you're writing something in a certain style, go read it. Go see how they write it. That's very cool. You know, same like if I'm writing sci-fi, I'm going to read something similar to that. If I'm writing, uh, you know, real, whatever the style of The Office is, read The yeah. Office, you know? Um, then you can read something like 30 Rock and you see how many jokes are on a page. That woman writes so many jokes. She writes so many jokes. Every, every line is a joke. I don't write that many jokes. But then she also has good scene basics, so she's just funnier than I am. <laughs> That's crazy. You know, some, sometimes you're like, oh, man, some of these scripts have so many jokes per page, and I don't write that many jokes per page. So maybe I got to write more jokes per page. That's interesting. You yeah, know, I should. I got to read more scripts. I got a Seinfeld script book. And oh, I, I got that one too. Really? Like yeah. seasons one through three or something like that? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah, because I'm trying to write a Seinfeld, uh, like a mobster thing. We're, we're like De Niro's playing, uh, what, what the fuck? Um, Seinfeld and like Joe Pesci's playing George and Steve Buscemi's playing Kramer. It's, um, it's in the works. <laughs> Actually, oh wait, maybe I'll show you after. I was trying to, I was trying to, um, when I was really trying to show BuzzFeed that they can go like further than like lists and stuff like that. Part of me, I went home and I broke down Seinfeld into a bunch of internet frames, like when somebody calls the wrong number, when you miss, when you tape recorded the sports game and your friend tells you the score. It's a, just a bunch of when. Like, it's a bunch of my reaction when oh, gifts of the 90s. You know what I mean? Like, that's how Seinfeld wrote. Seinfeld wrote, here's a bunch of relatable things, and I'm going to work them all into a story. Yeah. And I was that what I was saying to BuzzFeed is like, you guys can do this. This is your brand. That's so cool. It's relatable, but then make it into a story. And, you that's know. really cool. It's, so is there is there anything you want, that you're working on that you want to plug? talk about yeah i mean i'm i'm releasing uh, so i've made this series as we've been talking about on youtube uh i've made i think 24 videos over the past year and about 16 now total there will be i made about 24 videos uh last year and total there will be about 20 episodes of the same story so first they start out in the background of the episodes like in the yLF buzzfeed video i just say that I'm now sponsored by security cameras. Something weird happens at the end of that video um, where another version of me tells me not to do the channel and it's confusing and it's never really resolved. And then in the background of the video, the branding gets heavier and heavier until uh, it turns into an entire story of its own. So uh, I'm not trying to disguise that story anymore as any other type of viral video. For the last five videos that are coming out in April and May, I'm just going full story. So I'd really love people to watch that and catch up on the past episodes if they can. Um, I think it's a fun thing that I haven't really seen done in the digital space before. Cool. Check it out. Chris Reiniger YouTube channel. YouTube.com slash Chris Reiniger. R-E-I-N-A-C-H-E-R. Sweet. Cool, man. Well, thanks for having me in your house. I appreciate it. Thanks for doing yeah. the podcast. Thanks for coming. Thanks for asking me. Cool. Thanks, man. Hey guys, thanks so much for tuning into Working Comic Podcast. There's a new episode every week where I interview writers, directors, 
comedians, producers, any kind of creative thing you can think of, and also the business side of things. So club owners, agents, managers, festival owners, all that stuff. So tune in every week, and uh, also follow me on social media at the Austin Nasser on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And you can also catch me on YouTube with Chabros.